One thing that made it hit home a little bit is we have to fill out a therapeutic use exemption for myself to be able to use insulin and play rugby. And it had the condition in, and it said condition length of time and he put lifelong. And I saw that and I was like, yeah, this is, this is me forever. You're listening to the England Rugby Podcast, O2 Inside Line. I'm Henry Slade. My name's Henry Slade. I play for Exeter Chiefs and England Rugby. I play uh, outside centre. Basically, we're in the, call it the midfield, um, sort of in between the halfbacks and the wingers, sort of that, that little bit of... Uh, glue to get the ball to the outside channels or if they want us to carry up the middle, that's what we've got to do, I suppose. Um, I tend to do more of the passing. Centres are one of those positions where there's quite a few different types. Centres, I suppose, can vary in size. Just been speaking to Manu, like he's completely different. He's a big lad, he'll get you over the gain line. I'm sort of a bit more of a runner, passer, kicker sort of thing. But I think the one thing that doesn't change is you probably need to be fairly quick and have good handling ability. And then defensively, you've got to be strong because that's the channel that a lot of teams try and attack down, getting through that midfield to get over the gain line. Um, so we've got to stop them doing that. So I'm from South Devon. Uh, I was born in Plymouth. So I'm technically a Janna, which is what the people from Plymouth are called. My parents had a house in a place called Yampton which is a, a village sort of about 15 minutes outside Plymouth. Mum used to be a hairdresser. She had a salon. It was above the salon. And then we moved because they found a sort of an old hospital, which was derelict, turned into like a village. And they bought, basically bought a, a shell of a house. It was obviously, you had, had everything there, but nothing inside. Did the house up, lived there. And it was, that was brilliant. That was on the foot of Dartmoor. That was called Moorhaven Village. Grew up there basically until I was 15. Um, then moved back to Yampton. And I was only there for three years because when I was 18, then moved to Exeter to join the, the academy. Well, I loved all sports really, but I'd never played rugby. And uh, my, my younger brother, Seb, was playing rugby, came down to watch his match. Uh, and my age group was training next door. The coach just asked, did, did I want to join in? Because I looked a bit bored, I guess, on the sideline. Didn't really know anything about rugby to be before, so would never even have known to do it, do you know what I mean? First session, I remember scoring a couple of tries, which is always good. Joined in, loved it. Never really looked back, to be honest. Seemed like really good lads there. I made friends immediately, which was awesome. I think that's the, the main thing about team sports. You build so many relationships off the field. It's almost like you're doing it with your mates, and I think that's one of the best things about being a rugby player. They've opened up the balls there, and it's the bonus point for Henry Slade. And that was a little beauty. I was always quite shy around people. It took me a little bit of time to get to know someone to then really come out a little bit. Don't know whether that was because my younger brother was the complete opposite and was an absolute maniac that I just sort of took the back seat, you know what I mean? I was quite attention to detail, like little things, like little things used to wind me up. Everything had to be done in a certain way, um, else it would agitate me. I'd always put my left sock on first, left foot in, a, in my pants, left foot in my shorts, 
Always go left, right, then right. Don't know why. Had no reason for doing it back then. When I got sort of a bit older, into my teens, I would start doing things because I'd then think there'd be a repercussion if I didn't. So like, if I didn't turn my light off the right way, I'd think that something bad would happen to myself or my friends or my family. Or if I didn't do something else the right way, I think we'd lose the rugby match. I mean, there'd be so so many things that I'd have to do perfectly for me to be at peace of mind to then go and play um, or for me to go and, and enjoy my day. Things like turning the light switch off right, I don't know if that even, what that would even mean to you, but like, if you turn it off and like your finger like sort of brushes something else on the way, on the way when you stop touching it or like if you don't, if it doesn't have like a nice firm click, it would be like, I'll have to do it again and I have to do it a certain number of times. If I didn't do it right on that time, a certain number of times again. went into so many different things. It just spiraled and spiraled until eventually I was probably about 20 years old and we have a psychologist that comes down to Exeter, Matt Toms. I was like, mate, how do I stop doing this? Because it's mental, really. I was, get, I was taking nearly an hour to get into bed because I had to tap my feet on the floor in a certain way and like make sure the bed was laid in a certain way before I got on and everything had to be perfect in its spot in the room. He said to me, like, how ridiculous it was and laid it out plain and simple. I was like, yeah, there's no way me turning a light switch off a different number of times or in a different way is going to make us lose a rugby game or make my parents get hurt. I had to ease my way in, so like I did one. I, I stopped doing one thing. I did it in the training week, not at the game, but in the training weeks, not on Saturday. And then nothing bad happened on, in the week. So then that sort of put my mind at ease. And I tried it in the game and it was fine and we won. Actually, no, the first time I tried it, the first time I tried it, I broke my leg and that did not help me. That did not help. I was tying my shoelaces, my bootlaces. I was like, oh, that didn't quite go right. But I was like, oh, but it's fine. But it's fine. Tom just told me it was fine. And yeah, I, I broke my leg that day. And then that was not good for me for a few months. But then after that, I came back and said, right, I'm going to do it and I commit to it. I've actually stopped doing it. I don't do it now. It took me 15 years, but stopped. Amazing. Just so much more time. <laughs> that's the main thing so much more time in the day less stress so I did find it was impacting rugby I found I was not at ease with myself it spiralled quite a long way I know we joke about it we always joke about it at like dinners and all these things lads got their stories about rooming with me but like it was actually a bit serious at the time and I, now I've got through it I can look back and laugh but like it was tough Well, I've been very lucky to have amazing parents, very supporting in anything I wanted to do. Never pushed us to do anything, always allowed us to do things because we wanted to do them, but then would always back us up and take us wherever we needed to be, help us get the right equipment, as long as we work for it. <laughs> I can probably count on, count on my hand that the amount of games they missed through my whole childhood, whether it's rugby, football, cricket, athletics, anything at school. And there's two of them and there's three of us, so like, I don't know how they did it all. Always supporting those highs and lows with any sport, always there to help and talk to you. I couldn't have asked for more, do you know what I mean? Obviously fairly tough on us at times, but uh, there's three lads scrapping in the back of the car. You're going to you're gonna have to lose your rack a couple of times, aren't you? But... Um, I can't thank those guys enough for everything they've done for me. Mm -hmm.
Becoming a dad was amazing. Sort of nothing really prepares you for it. You have the nine, ten months to sort of talk yourself into the fact that you're ready. But when it comes, it's, uh, it's, it's just amazing. As soon as Olive was born, I was ready to kill for her. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Not obviously kill anyone, but... I didn't know it was possible to love something that much that quickly. Like straight away, she came out as a wow, I love you. I couldn't put two words together without crying, which was nuts. See how strong Megan was throughout the whole thing? Yeah, amazing. And see uh, those two together now is, like, is, is class. How good she is with her. However annoying they are in a day, if they give you 30 seconds of smiling and laughing, it's, it just makes it worth it, doesn't it? At first, I thought it would just be like having a, another dog, but quickly realised it was not like, like having another dog. She's two and a half nearly, and we, we've survived this far. Myself and my missus just love her so much, and just everything we can do to help her, we do, I guess. I was 18, my last year of school, and myself and one of my best mates at school was called Ollie Waste. We both had the flu, or like, felt like the flu, like proper ill, could barely move, and no one else seemed to be ill. It was just us two somehow. We both had the Thursday off because we were just felt awful. I came back in Friday, but Ollie didn't. I saw him on the Monday. Turns out he'd been in hospital all weekend because on the Friday he'd had all the symptoms you get with developing type 1 diabetes. Got taken to hospital, did all the tests, turned out he has type 1 diabetes. So he comes into school the next week. He had this little blood testing kit which tells you what your blood sugars are. So everyone was having a go on his blood testing kit, testing what their bloods was, everyone's normal. And mine came back at like 10.4. This was in the afternoon, two or three hours after I've eaten. So me now haven't been having diabetes. No, that's, that's not a normal score. But obviously at the time, I had no idea. I went back home, told my dad, who actually does have diabetes. And I was like, Dad, what do you think? He's like, well, I see yeah, it's a bit high, but maybe it's just like, I don't know, there'll be, there'll be some explanation for it, a bit of sugar in your finger or something. He's like, go and test again tomorrow morning. So I went and tested tomorrow morning. We didn't even bother testing on dads at home because didn't think it was anything. Got in and it was like 16 and I hadn't even eaten. So I was like, right, this isn't, this isn't good. I know it's gone even higher. It shouldn't be. Told dad. He was like, yeah, right. Probably should go and see someone. Took me to the GP surgery. They tested my blood sugars. I drank some Lucozade, went and sat in the car for two hours. Came back. It had gone even higher. They told me I was developing type 1 diabetes. So if it had gone on longer, I would have had all those symptoms, lose weight, all that stuff. Because I, I caught it early and it was sort of developing. Um, I was quite lucky, I suppose. But thanks to my friend actually getting diabetes sort of saved me a little bit. It's pretty, pretty weird situation. My name is Ollie. I went to school with Henry, been mates with him ever since really. Growing up, he was quite quiet. Always remember him being very dedicated to rugby. He was always the last one out on the training pitch. So we were probably about 17 or 18 I was diagnosed with diabetes. He, he was then developed, developed type 1. It was quite nice in a way for us to have um, the two of us to kind of go to each other for advice on and work out, you know, going through this very new condition for both of us about how he's able to cope with it. He was so motivated that he was going to be a rugby player and he had such a clear plan for how that was going to happen. And it was just something that he took into his stride and said, okay, it's just something else that I'm going to have to overcome with it. We never thought it was anything other than just something to deal with and get over. 
He was really always incredibly skillful. He always put the hours in. He kind of had that from the age of, you know, 10, 12, 13. But then as we got older, you know, that dedication really started to show. You know, it is amazing when you go to Twickenham and there's 8,000 people and or you're walking down the street with him and someone recognises him. Like, it's still quite a surreal moment. But for me, what makes me most proud is, you know, when I speak to young diabetics who've just been diagnosed, where, you know, it's a very confusing, scary time for them you know, trying to get through to them and say uh, it's a life-changing thing, but it doesn't need to be like a kind of life-ending thing. And I just point to him and say, look at this. This is a guy who was diagnosed at a similar age to you and look what he's done with his life. He is one of the top performing athletes in the UK, plays for England rugby. And, you know, there's nothing that's going to stop you from achieving what you want to achieve. And I think to me, that is just something that, you know, it makes me really, really proud that he is kind of this really positive ambassador for diabetics and for young rugby players. Obviously, having diabetes does affect your life in quite a drastic way. It's just a constant battle, really. I mean, there's obviously worse things to have. There's worse things to have, but diabetes is not great. The main aim of it is just to keep your blood sugars in the right zone, which is between sort of five and seven millimoles. And the way to do that is to inject insulin, which brings you down. But then when you eat food, carbohydrates especially, it, it goes up. So it's all about having the right amount of insulin compared to how much you eat to keep yourself in the right zone. Um, And it's a never-ending battle, really. Some days you think, I've nailed it. I think I'm a legend. And then the next day, I'm crap at it. It's never-ending, which is the worst thing about it. One thing that made it hit home a little bit is we have to fill out a therapeutic use exemption for myself to be able to use insulin and play rugby. When I was filling the form out, I had the condition and it said condition length of time the doctor already filled it all in and it put and he put a lifelong and when I saw that because it was only quite probably about three months after actually been diagnosed and I saw that and I was like yeah this is this is me forever which is obviously not great um but the way you got to look at it is there's worse things to have I think things that we used to do maybe used to say oh I want to go to the park and you just go and now you have to take your insulin check your blood sugars Make sure you got some sort of sweets or something in case you go low. Like you got to check. Everything just takes that bit longer. It's just everything's just a bit more of a hassle, which is sounds doesn't sound that much, but over time it does grind your gears a bit. I always saw Dad doing everything he always wanted to do, which was great for me to see because as soon as I got diagnosed, I knew immediately, well, I can still do everything I want to do because he still did loads of sport, he did he did any, everything. I guess that was really, really important because I hear, hear stories of people when they f- maybe first find out or, or get told by someone that they can't do certain things. The main message I, I can say to people is, it shouldn't stop you doing anything you want to do. If your blood sugar is a norm, at a normal level, you, you're the same as the next person. But I can imagine that there's some dark places some people get in because they don't have that information or don't have that knowledge that you can. The positive things of it are you do get to know yourself very well. You know what activities do certain things to you. It can't have a positive impact on rugby. Obviously, if your blood sugars are low, you've got no energy, you got you can't think very well. If they're high, you probably lose concentration. I don't know what the exact things are, but rugby tends to, adrenaline tends to spike your blood sugars. 
I never really have the problem unless it's a long pre-season session in the heat with dropping low. I normally have the problem with going too high. It, it does take its toll if you've been high for a long time, so it's, it's all about keeping them right. And yeah, it is, it is definitely a challenge and I have to have a, uh, a jab before I go out training, before half time, before, before games. The biggest thing I think about in the future is, will my kids get it? I get some parents with young kids come to me and ask questions about how they how to do things with the diabetes. And I always think how tough it must be to be a parent and have a two-year-old kid or a four-year-old kid with it. And I think, but yeah, I, I just hope and pray that that doesn't happen to my, my kids. That's the main thing. I sort of treat it a bit like rugby and like in terms of you can only control what you can control. For example, getting picked for England, all I can do to control that is play as well as I can for Exeter. I can't control if a coach picks me or not or likes me. All I can do is my performance. Whereas with diabetes, I can't control what happens way in the future, but what I can control is keeping blood sugars in the right zones now. That's all I try and do. And I don't want to get too worried about what's too far down the line. What happens will happen, I guess. Hopefully get a cure for it soon. Never know. The only time it probably impacts is, for example, when I maybe need to take action with my diabetes in terms of having an injection to bring my blood sugars down or having some sweets or sugar to bring my blood sugars up. If I am in the middle of, say, bath time or reading a bedtime story, then I have to finish doing the bath time or finish the bedtime story before I can then correct myself, which before I'd obviously just go straight away and do it. Whereas obviously now you can't just I can't just leave her halfway in the bath. I just go and run downstairs and get my injection. Do you know what I mean? So obviously she comes first in everything, and that even comes down to that as well. I'm John Slade. I'm Henry's dad. Henry, as a as a kid, was uh, very single-minded in what he wanted, where he was going in life. Very determined. Very competitive, I would say. You know, from a young age, you knew that uh, he wanted to win. It's a pretty tricky thing to cope with, diabetes. Well, I've never let it stop me doing any of the sports I've wanted to do. I've never let it affect me or stop me doing it. And I think maybe Henry saw that and thought to himself, well, it ain't going to affect me either. So he carried on. It's never, never slowed him down. Nobody knows their kid is going to get where Henry's got, to be honest. You don't think that's going to happen to your family or your son or, or, or daughter. You know, we were pretty surprised in a lot of ways uh, that he's actually done what he's done and, and absolutely totally proud and, you know, in awe, really, of where he's got to, particularly with the diabetic thing in the background. lucky enough to when I signed Exeter to sign at the same time as some some great players who were same age as, as myself Jack Knoll Luke Cowan-Dickey Sam Hill um, and we all lived together for a couple of years which is interesting every situation you're in you're never on your own I always had at least one or two of them there to, to sort of get through something that was tough or or anything with them so every every step we made we made it together which was really cool we used to sit around discussing about how cool would it be one day to play for England and Amazingly, like myself, Jack and Luke have, have all done that. I think we, we probably first came into camp about 21 years old. And obviously it's daunting. You've got all these guys that you 
have watched growing up. And it's like, wow, these guys are like household names, big worldwide names in rugby. And to have some of your closest mates there to, to do it with was, was amazing. Oh, Henry Slade, on the pitch, smooth. Smooth, man, like, skillful, silky. I'm Manu Tuilangi. I play for Sale Sharks and England. This lady on the pitch, this makes it look easy. Got the skills, feet, left foot step, offload. Um, that's what I mean, it's smooth. But off the pitch, it's pretty chilled. Good family, man. Yeah, it's a top man. Playing for England is something which I, I love to do. It's something that makes myself and my family and friends very proud. They get to come and, and, and see us and you see that how happy it makes them when you come off the pitch and we've done well. or Even if we haven't, just, to, just for them to be able to be there and sort of experience it all and, and see us after is amazing. To represent the country and, and the fans is huge as well. To get the chance to have represented England as many times as I have, I'm, I'm very grateful for it. Obviously, it's a, it takes a lot of hard work, but it's something that running out of Twickenham like with 80-odd thousand people shouting is, is insane. Like it gets so loud sometimes, and it's a great place to play. Yeah, it just makes me very proud every time I wear the shirt. <laughs>